trying to get this at the right height so I don't feel like I have to stare down the whole time. There we go. It's going to slowly lower. All right. This morning we're going to be in the book of Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah for, for a while. Uh, we're, we're not going to go through every word of the book of Isaiah for the next several years. Um, we, will, we will move through Isaiah a um, f- little faster than that, but we'll still be here for a while. We're just starting in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read uh, a chunk of this, and then we'll pray. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why are you still, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. And it is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. The daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray that our hearts would be open and tender before You, that we would allow Your Word to pierce us, to call us into question, to heal us. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would shape our loves so that we would be a people who love You more dearly, more deeply, more truly, with our lips and with our lives. Amen. The book of Isaiah comes uh, right at this sort of tipping point in Israel's history. They're standing kind of on the brink of destruction. Um, And in many ways, Isaiah is going to speak to the present moment. And you can feel it in the book of Isaiah. There's a heavy note of warning. And then Isaiah will also speak uh, looking into the future. And sometimes the the voice will be speaking from the future, but as if it is the past. This is helpful to understand that sometimes when you're reading the prophets, it can be hard to follow. Martin Luther, the reformer, he just says, these prophets, they they just write real weird. They just seem to jump from topic to topic. Uh, And I love Brother Luther for his honesty to us. Uh, It's because the prophets are not sitting down and saying, let me write this book now and writing from front to back and writing this together. These are, you know, collections of messages delivered at different times. So you can jump from chapter to chapter or mid-chapter to mid-chapter and things will radically shift because it's a new poem. It's a new message. A a new sermon has, has started. And we also have to be clear about what the prophets are doing, including Isaiah. A lot of times we hear prophet and we think fortune teller, future teller. And that's mostly not what the prophets are doing. The prophets are instead coming to tell the people of Israel the truth about the present moment. They are coming to represent God in a courtroom and be the lawyers who are pressing a case against the people of Israel because they have failed to live up to their agreement. And you can even hear that theme in this first chapter that we're reading. So you have to kind of get out of your mind like, okay, the prophets are going to tell us the future, though sometimes they certainly speak to the future. And instead think, okay, the lawyer of God representing the case of God is coming to speak to the people of God. And it's also important to keep in mind who is speaking to whom here. I don't know if you're like me. Um, I grew up in a church tradition that liked to read every prophecy as if I was the subject of the prophecy. So I have old study Bibles of mine where I would read Old Testament prophets and try to dissect, okay, obviously Israel is America. Now, what is, what is, who is Damascus? Who is Babylon? What is, is that like Russia or China? And that is just not a good way to read the Bible because when it says Israel, it means Israel. That's who God was talking about. Now, sometimes Babylon can symbolize greater forces of evil or something like that. But, in general, we will read it in the way that the people of Israel heard it and with the ears that God gives us today by the power of His Holy Spirit because this is the Word of the Lord with eternal value that can speak beyond Israel and to us. Does that make sense? So don't get confused. Don't try to make it more than what it is. Don't try to make it about you. 
it is for you. It is for you, even if it is not about you. Now, Isaiah here, in this passage, in this opening statement to the people of Israel, is going to tell us what the problem is for the rest of the book. These are the central concerns of the prophet when he is kind of litigating the case against Israel. And fundamentally, Israel's problem in the book of Isaiah is the problem they have for all of the Old Testament. It's the problem that also we carry. And he says that Israel has forgotten who has made them. He says here in the beginning, the ox knows its owner, the donkey knows its master's crib, but my children, whom I have loved, have forgotten me. And this forgetfulness is at the center of their problem. They have forgotten the God of Israel who has made them for himself. They have forgotten what he has done for them. And God's charge to Israel is really, really serious. He tells them that his accusations against them are coming with judgments, that there is smoking ruin that's going to come upon Judah and Israel because they have forgotten. He tells them that he wants to get their attention. He wants them to hear and to remember But he makes these really strong comparisons. I don't know if you heard what he says. He says, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have become like Sodom and like Gomorrah, these two cities that experience in the book of Genesis this incredible judgment, fiery judgment of God that leaves it a sort of crater in the earth. So he says, if if God had not spared a few of us, we would have been like them. But then he goes on in verse 10 and 11 and says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What he's saying is, you are like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not just that you might one day become the smoking ruin like those cities. You are just like them. So the people of Israel who might be deceived into thinking, hey, we're Israel, we're the good guys, are suddenly being told by God's representative, no, 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 you are just like Sodom and Gomorrah. You best pay attention. And then Isaiah delivers this message from God of his profound frustration and disgust. But it's surprising the things that he is disgusted with. He says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. God is saying, I am sick of smelling your sacrifices. They mean nothing to me. Now the question needs to be asked, who told them to offer those sacrifices? God told them to offer those sacrifices. He says your your feast, your appointed feasts, your Sabbaths, your new moons, they're meaningless to me. Who told them to do those things? 
The God of Israel told them to do those things. They are people who are conforming, at least in this respect, to the law. They are obedient in this respect to the law. They are going through the motions of being good church people. They are offering all the appointed sacrifices, and the God of Israel who told them to offer the sacrifices is saying, the smoke of your offerings is a stench to me, and I am sick of smelling it. And I want you to figure something else out. I want you to become righteous. I want you to do something different so that you will be in right standing with me. And what does he say they must do? says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. The problem that Israel has, one of the many problems that Israel has, is that they are comforted by, it seems, their theological correctness, their behavioral religious correctness, while they leave the temple and live lives contrary to the law of God. They think if I go to church, if I go to temple enough, if I offer God enough sacrifices, it's not a problem for me to live a life in which the widow is oppressed, there's no justice for the fatherless, where the poor can be oppressed. There's no problem if I go to church on Sunday, then I can go on the streets on Monday, and through Saturday, I can live my life however I choose and however I please. As long as I offer my sacrifices, go to the feasts, and observe the Sabbaths, God will be pleased with me, and God is coming to relieve them of their confusion and tell them the truth. I hate your sacrifices. Your sacrifices are disgusting to me. What I really want is that the law of God would not just command your behavior one day a week. I want you to obey the law of God and do justice for the oppressed. I want you to see the widow and take care of them. And a lot of times, we ourselves take on the mentality of the Israelite. And we say, if I will just be a good church person, if I give my 10% to the church, if I go to church on Sunday, if I'm part of a small group on a Wednesday, then it basically doesn't matter what I do. Otherwise, I'll try not to sleep with the wrong people or have, you know, maybe the angriest outburst. But basically, I should be covered. What matters most to me is that I'm in. If I can just be in, if I just have the right theological correctness, then it doesn't matter what I do with my life. And that has never been the arrangement on offer, Old Testament or New. It is not like after Isaiah came, God said, you know what, guys? This is really just too hard. You know, we're just going to... 
If you can actually, if you do the sacrifices thing, it really doesn't matter if you do justice for the oppressed or take care of the widow or feed the hungry or things like that. It just, it's too hard, you know? It's too hard. So let's just bring it down. And now the message is, actually, I love your sacrifices, your weekly church attendance, and I really don't care about Monday through Saturday. Let's just get Sunday right. People believe in Christian churches that that's actually how God would treat them. And God did not get saved when Jesus came. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus did not come, get crucified, and God was like, what have I been thinking? I was way too... You know what? I've had a change of heart. I actually don't want a people who reflect my holiness in the world, who image my kingship to all creation. This is actually better. I feel better about all of this. This is easier. Let's go the easier path now. It's the same God. The God of Isaiah is the God revealed by Jesus Christ. And Jesus of Nazareth is going to tell you the same thing that Isaiah came to tell you. Jesus is going to tell you it is not sufficient to be externally conforming to the law of God. It has to flow from the inside of you. It is not sufficient that you're not just murderers. You actually have to love your enemies. It is not sufficient to meet the bare minimum of generosity. If somebody asks for something a little of you, you give twice as much as they asked. Jesus did not come so that people could say, what God requires of me is less than my whole life. That is not what Jesus came to do. What does God say to the people of Israel after He asked them to examine their lives? He says, let's get into the courtroom together. He says in verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Now, when we read that in English, it comes off as like, come on, guys, let's, let's just talk person to person here. That's not the word he's using. He's saying, come let us litigate together. You come into my courtroom. Let us litigate the case. Let us judge. But then he says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And then he offers a choice. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the very beginning of this message, in verse 5, God says to the people, Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? What he's saying is, I don't want you to be destroyed. Why will you continue down this path when I want to heal you? 
And what he describes to them is that they are sick all the way from the top down, from the inside out. He says, Israel, you are deeply in trouble. Why will you continue down this road? Why will you continue in this way? And our impulse when we hear the words of the prophets, when we hear the law of God, when we hear the Scriptures, is to try to swerve away from what the law is going to tell us, which is the truth about ourselves. That something is not right deep within us. We, we want to say, well, we're, we're church people, so we shouldn't feel that way about ourselves anymore. But what the law of God is going to tell all people, not just non-Christians, but Christians too, is that there is sickness inside of you. And that you need healing. And that just because God has put you in His church and brought you to the foot of the cross does not mean that, that has, He has approved of the way that you continue to turn aside and live your life however you want. It is important to hear the loving call of God to turn away from sin. And it is a shame, it is sad that the church of Jesus Christ has often left aside the things that Isaiah has called the people of Israel to, we have been the ones who have said it is not important to do justice to the fatherless. It is not important to take care of the oppressed. It is not important that we would do justice to the widow and to the orphan because we have our theology on point. And we have swerved away from the conviction of the prophets and the law to try, I think, to, to not feel afraid, to feel better about ourselves. But when the prophet is coming to litigate, he is not telling the people their sins because the news is now God wants to smush them. He's saying, turn away from this sickness so I can heal you. I want to make you right. So we, just like Israel, should hear the call of Isaiah and ask the question of ourselves. Have I lived a religious, churchy life and said, this is enough that I do with my life for God? Or have I failed? Have I failed to give justice to the widow? Have I failed to cease to do evil? Have I failed to learn to do good, to correct oppression, to take care of the weak in my midst, in my society? And when the prophet brings that question to you, he is not telling you just bad news and kicking you over into the crevasse of judgment. The word of the God who comes to judge is though your sins are scarlet, I will wash you white as snow. Though your offenses are many, I have come to heal you. I have come to heal you and to do good to you if you would but come and turn around and listen to me. Unfortunately, the church has harbored all kinds of these exact sins that Isaiah names. Unfortunately, the church has swerved away from any conversation about our own participation 
and oppression. The, the church has sidestepped any role in a conversation about race in our society. For example, because we are afraid, I think, of being implicated, denying they could possibly the charges might be true. Because we live in a world that tells us if you have transgressed, you will be condemned and destroyed. Our world operates under this assumption that if you have sinned in this way, you should be erased and destroyed. And so church people have refused to acknowledge our own complicity in extending, enforcing, and theologically legitimizing the sins of racism in our own country because we are afraid of saying that we might be cratered like Sodom and Gomorrah. But that is not the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is we can announce our complicity. We can announce our failure. And we are free not to do as we please, but to be transformed, forgiven, renewed, restored, and set into the way of Jesus Christ. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to hide any sin of yours. The things that plague you and terrorize you and you are afraid might be seen. If everybody could see how you lived your life from Monday through Saturday before you walked in the doors of church, they would turn you aside and have nothing to do with you. Those things are all things that Jesus has seen and He died for you anyway. Those things are the sins that made you like scarlet. And those things are the things that Jesus cleanses you of so we as a people can acknowledge yes we have failed to do justice we have failed to correct oppression we have failed to take care of the widow and the orphan I have taken I have failed to do it in my life individually we have failed collectively we have failed in this country we have failed in many countries and this is not an announcement of our condemnation this is a pronouncement of the reconciliation that comes from Jesus I have failed and Jesus has saved me I have failed and Jesus has rescued me I have failed. I continue to fail. And Jesus does not give up on me. Jesus does not give up on His people. So the Word calls us to be examined by the law. To recognize how we have failed. To recognize how we have compartmentalized and given God a portion of our lives. And not the whole as He deserves. And the, and the law calls us to see the fact that He was always the one who was going to make us right. And He is the only one that can do it. Later in verse 27, He says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. The justice and righteousness of God has come for His people to rescue His people from their own contribution and continuance of wickedness. 
and the justice and righteousness of God is on display in the cross of Jesus. In the cross of Jesus Christ, and only the cross, the full justice and righteousness of God moved to bring us, the fatherless, the weak, the frail, and to bring us into the full blessing of God's favor. If you are here this morning, and you know there's a number of ways that you have come to church on Sunday, watched a sermon on Sunday, and lived your life for yourself Monday through Saturday, you should absolutely hear the word of the prophet coming to you and saying that that is not enough. You are rightly heard that your theological correctness does not justify or cover your own selfish living. That is what the law is coming to tell you. And the full picture of what Isaiah is preaching is that you can be redeemed even from that. That even for years of living your own way, the God of the universe, the King of Israel, has come to bring His own justice and righteousness to make you right and to transform you into being the kind of person that was meant to carry His name into the edges of the world. If you are here this morning and you feel the burden and the weight of conviction, do not accept the burden of shame and condemnation which comes from the enemy and tells you that you'll be written off forever. You will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. But let the, the conviction of the Word tell you the truth about yourself and respond the way that God wants you to respond. Come home. Repent. Don't hide. Don't sidestep. Acknowledge. Repent. And let God heal you. And if this morning you don't feel that conviction, you think, you know what, I'm doing, I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm not here to interrogate your heart. Everybody here, though, is called to look on the crucified God and be reminded once more that it is Him that brought you home on His own back for your great benefit. So everybody here, wherever you are in the spectrum of response, should see Jesus and see the love of God poured out for you. The great rescue of God, the great gift of God, who has taken your very red account and made you white, pure, clean, by His own good cleansing. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank You that we can acknowledge all of our many faults and failures. We can, we can acknowledge there, there are any number of ways that we have failed to live righteously. We have, we have been good at conforming to the, the good Christian example, to the churchy example. We've been good at coming and observing the feast and, and offering to you a sacrifice of praise, but we know that there's a long list of ways that we have not lived up to the call of Jesus. And we are so grateful that we don't have to hide from you when we confess those things. We don't have to cower and shrink in fear. Instead, we can joyfully say, Jesus, take this from me. Forgive me. Restore me. Set me right. And we know the answer that's waiting for us. We're so grateful for the 
the great yes of God, for the great acceptance of God, for the great move of God towards us in Christ Jesus. I pray that our hearts would be ignited in love. I pray, God, that we would be freed by the conviction that comes with your law. And that we would be set free by the good word of the gospel. Jesus, make us a people who are always repenting, always coming home to you, always receiving more of the healing that you have for us. Let us be a people individually and corporately that are free to confess, to freely celebrate your love, and who live lives that have been transformed by your generosity. We trust you to do this by your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Amen.